Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. The Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Real people, real conversations. I am pumped to be part of Have the Conversation. Before we jump into our conversation, we wanted to remind you that this podcast is strictly for information and educational use only, and it's never intended to diagnose, treat, or provide medical advice of any sort. We do occasionally discuss sensitive content and subject matter, and we're always going to do our best to let you know what to expect before listening. So let them know what's coming up, Leanne. So our guest this week is a psychiatrist, thought leader, and cannabis advocate, Lynn Bornfriend. In 2014, her mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer. After trying everything from standard and traditional medicine to various integrative processes and finding no relief, Lynn's sister recommended cannabis. In our conversation with Lynn, she opened up about how against cannabis use she was, how it went against everything she was taught in medical school, and the moment in education that finally changed her mind and in turn her work and the way she sees the world. We really enjoyed getting to spend time with Lynn and valued the unique perspective that she brought. After the episode, if you'd like to know more regarding topics discussed in our conversation with Lynn or would like to connect with Lynn to have your own discussion, head on over to htcpod.com to get connected to it all. How's your sleep lately? As a trainer, the subject of sleep is often a main topic of discussion. Nobody sleeps perfectly every night, but I have to tell you, I've never slept better than I have since I've discovered the chili pad. Chili Pad is a mattress pad that uses cooling technology to keep your bed at exactly the temperature you want all night long. You can set it as low as 55 degrees, like my furnace of a fiancé does, or take it all the way up to 95 if you have no problem staying cold on your own. Our bodies need a dark and cool atmosphere to get the most out of our sleep, and the Chili Pad has been one of my favorite sleep hacks to do just that. Go to ChiliPad.com to learn more about the ChiliPad and its upgrade, the Uller. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-A-D.com. They even offer a new Chili-weighted blanket to keep you calm and cool all night long. If you like what you see, use the code HAVETHECOMBO for a special discount at checkout. That's all one word, HAVETHECOMBO, for discounts off your new ChiliPad. Sleep tight! Well, I was telling Leanne how, how cool it was because we haven't had a perspective like yours yet on the show. We haven't had a psychiatrist come and, and speak cannabis with us. And, and when we have spoken, I know you were a little apprehensive when it came to cannabis in general, too, in the beginning. Oh, yeah. So oh, if, yeah. if you want to kind of share your story from wherever starting sure. point sounds good, we can just kind of start there and roll into it. Okay. Well, basically... First of all, yes, I'm a psychiatrist, but for the past nine and a half years, I worked at a hospital for people with advanced and late stage cancers. So unlike previous work, they weren't mentally ill. They were instead uh, mentally traumatized, you know, depressed, anxious, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, complicated grief, but it was not mental illness. I also, because of the nature of the hospital and the openness and inclusiveness of the other physicians, I had the opportunity to really learn a tremendous amount about the medicine parts of cancer care. And as I became the only physician talking about cannabis, I talked about many, many uh, symptoms beyond just psychiatric ones. So my story is... Uh, what would happen often is patients would come into the office, let's say a little old lady, she'd be coming in 
complaining about the set of circumstances and be expecting a prescription, a pill. I'm anxious. I'm expecting Xanax. I can't sleep. I'm expecting Ambien. And I would ask them if they had considered cannabis instead. And many people would say, oh, no, honey, I'm not like you. I don't do that kind of stuff. At which point I would have to say, hold on a minute. I just need to tell you, I was no fun growing up. <laughs> I have never smoked a cigarette. I didn't touch anything. I fully invested in what I was told by the authorities. And through medical school, I was told very clearly, this is what's true. And I believed it. What was true in, in medical school? Cannabis was a gateway drug and it was a bad thing. And it was terrible. Um, in 2014, I was at the hospital for a few years already. And my mother, who was 84, was in perfect health. She had no medical condition. She took no medicines. Was suddenly diagnosed with stage four cancer. My older sister, who is the bit of the hippie, says, let's use cannabis. And my response, and I always quote this because I find it incredibly obnoxious and I feel that it's my penance to quote it. I said, absolutely not. I'm a licensed professional. My mother had been a high school teacher. My mother said, I'm not going to do that. That's what bad kids do. So she started treating at my hospital, which was a very wonderful place. Integrative therapies, not just chemotherapies, but acupuncture and massage and Reiki and uh, naturopathic medicine and chiropractic. And we did. And her tumors were shrinking, but the side effects we could not get a hold of. And for her, the side effects were horrendous nausea. And then my mom was really conscientious. So if the doctor said ate, she ate no matter what. She would eat gas, cramping, horrific pain, diarrhea. In addition, she couldn't sleep and she was anxious. We tried everything. Everything from standard and traditional medicine to these integrative processes and nothing helped her. And my mother had been very slim at the start of this. And in about eight or nine months, she was, she had essentially, she was starving to death. And they said, we cannot continue to treat her. It's time for hospice because she couldn't tolerate further treatment. At that point, my sister said, the heck with both of you. And she came with an edible. I heard about this and I raced to the house. I was mad. I'm like, no, no, no. I get to the apartment. My mother's sitting up. She's not in pain. She's not nauseated. She's not anxious. She's not high. And she's eating a little. It was too late for my 84-year-old mother who had been through eight or nine months of this absolute torturous suffering. But it was a game changer for me. So that when I returned to work, I started asking some of my patients. Now, the hospital I worked for was an interesting place because it was the destination place. People came from around the country for cancer care. So they were coming from all different states and all different levels of legality. And when I started asking, I started hearing from patients, oh, thank God. I was afraid to say anything, but you know those medicines you give me for anxiety or insomnia? I don't need them when I'm home. And furthermore, the medicines that my oncologist gives me for nausea and pain and neuropathy, I don't need them when I'm home. 
I started doing more research, learning more. And in April of 2017, cannabis was legalized in Pennsylvania. It was not available until February of 18, but when it was legalized, I started attending conferences and groups. Uh, former state Senator Dalen Leach was one of the people who had written the bill and pushed it through, and he had this wonderful seminar, and I met all these exciting people, cutting edge, and I got more and more involved, and I was working with patients from states that already were illegal, so I was finding about procedures in many other states, and I evolved from that time to what I would, what has been called a thought leader. I have given Speeches. I have been interviewed in the newspaper. I've given videos. I've been on, you know, all kinds of different certain things talking about cannabis and the concept of getting away from toxic and ineffective treatments and how cannabis can step in and improve the outcome, the management of symptoms and side effects during cancer treatment. But in addition, Beyond that, the evidence about cannabis helping to fight cancer. That's what I was wondering. Is there evidence about that as well? Yes. Yes, Whoa. there is quite a bit. Now, interesting issues because in the U.S., because cannabis is still a Schedule One drug, that is along with heroin, ecstasy, LSD, um, off the top of my head, probably methamphetamine. Those are characterized as medications for which there is no medical purpose. What's interesting about that is in 1985, the FDA approved the use of Marinol for extreme nausea and lack of appetite in cancer patients and HIV patients. Marinol is synthetic THC. Indistinguishable on a drug screen from cannabis from the plant. Not very well tolerated because it is an opposed THC. And as you get to know more and more about the plant, you realize that mother nature is smarter than we ever were. So in the cannabis plant, there's THC, but there's also CBD. And CBD moderates and decreases the psychoactive properties of THC. So it helps people feel less altered and uncomfortable. I was having difficulties with patients who I was giving teeny tiny amounts of THC, little old ladies, and they couldn't handle it. It was way too strong for them. And ultimately the answer was to add CBD. But way back, back with my mom, when I finally fought and got her a trial of Marinol, she took one pill. She was hallucinating. She said, I'll never take that again. And this was months before the whole hospice and cannabis edible relief. So because of that, I began speaking and the, the patients educated each other. And they started coming to me for other issues. And then I started hearing back from patients, reading more, and giving talks and learning from the cannabis community things I didn't know. I was giving a talk one day, and I was talking about how there are many different delivery methods. 
cannabis and how that can be very important in cancer patients. For example, some patients with lung disease can't inhale things, but there are sublinguals and it's, some people have uh, head and neck cancer and they can't do that. Uh, the possibility of using things rectally in a suppository form. And someone in the audience raised his hand and said, and by the way, that doesn't make you high. I said, what? Sure enough, I later discovered that in research that when you give cannabis oils sublingually, about 40% are, are absorbed in about 10 to 15 minutes. They go throughout the body. When you give cannabis oils or medications in general rectally, 80% are absorbed. The rectum is extremely vascular. That's why people get hemorrhoids. So 80% of them are absorbed. They need you know 10 to 15 minutes throughout the body, but they don't cause the psychoactive effects. So when I had cancer patients who had chronic extreme pain, but wanted to have a life and not be stoned out of their minds all the time, there was a delivery method. I wondered why, if this was so as wonderful as it looked, why it was still illegal. I think a lot of us are wondering that. Oh, wow. The articles, out there, they blow you away. The reasons are, the reasons originally and the current reasons are racism and greed. So back in the 1920s and 30s, people are making machines and they don't want people to use home remedies and things that they grew in the garden or, and because they want you to buy their shiny white pills rolling off the machine. So the word goes out that your grandmother's stuff was weak, it was dirty, it was no good, don't use it, it's bad, use this instead. But in addition, there was a man, um, I can't remember his first name, his last name was Anslinger. He had been in charge of the prohibition of alcohol, but that was over. And so uh, the way I read it, he was looking for something new to do. Initially, they gave him heroin, but there wasn't enough there. And he was apparently a notorious bigot. And the conventional wisdom at that time had to do not only with racism and uh, prejudice against African-Americans, but also against Mexicans. And so there were newspaper articles you can see that say marijuana causes white women to have sex. I'm sorry, marijuana and jazz music cause, yep, cause white women to have sex with black and brown men. And so to save our women. Interesting switch because cannabis is the Latin name for the plant. Marijuana sounds Mexican? Yeah, no. It's not the name of the plant. The plant is cannabis. They made up the name, or was that what people called it in Mexico? But that's what gave it that stigma in the the thing around it of it's bad and it's bad. It's so, the prohibition on all of it is so insane. Yes. So then you flash forward to current, and the only thing that I can find anywhere is the reason it is currently federally illegal is because there the four industries the four industries that lobby the hardest get the most money put the most money in senators congressmen governors whoever's pockets against legalization are big pharma big alcohol big tobacco and the private prison industry so big pharma I, I'll talk in a little bit about the incredible 
results I found about you're able to get off all kinds of medicines. So it cuts down their profits. Big alcohol and big tobacco in states where there's full accessibility and legality, the statistics show that the illness and death from alcohol and tobacco are less. The crime from alcohol, you know, motor vehicle accident is less. The sales of alcohol and tobacco is less. So money, you know, certainly no one's going to say that they're lobbying to protect you, alcohol and tobacco. And the private prison industry twists me in a particular way. So all those people serving life in prison for just possession of an ounce of cannabis, largely people of color, because white kids didn't go to jail for that. Cannabis prisoners are not violent. They're not psychotic. They're not gang members. They're kind of peaceful, whatever. And you get paid $800 per body per day. And when you legalize, they get out of jail. So my mother, who I adored, suffered and died because those people wanted money and it was and, and this racist agenda. Took me from my joke is sweet poly purebred, which I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember underdog, the cartoon, but you know, I was this little sweet girl to, I'm, I'm like a rebel. I cannot look at anyone else's mother, son, sister and say, oh yeah, sorry, you got to die. I can't do it. It's outrageous. And it's really changed how I work and how I see the world. In addition, I have this old poster. I'm looking at it. I don't know if I can show it. It was a Leafly poster. And I, I, I unwrapped it so many times. It's kind of raggedy. But it's talking about different medical conditions. And it's listing different um, cannabinoids in the plant. And how they might be useful for these different medical conditions. And it includes arthritis cramping, fibromyalgia, inflammation. Inflammation is the source pretty much of disease and aging. Um, headache, migraine, insomnia, pain, phantom limb, limb, appetite loss, cataxia, which is that real extreme can uh, cancer and HIV, that thinness, Crohn's disease, GI disorders, nausea, and then... Um, ADHD, anorexia, anxiety, bipolar, depression, fatigue, PTSD, stress, Alzheimer's, epilepsy, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, seizures, muscle spasticity, Tourette's disease, asthma, cancer, glaucoma, HIV, AIDS, muscular dystrophy. In addition, there's documentation of cannabis improving, lowering blood pressure and hypertension stabilizing and lowering blood glucose in diabetes, treating peripheral neuropathy, which is a complication of diabetes, spinal cord injury, but also chemotherapies, which is this burning numbness and tingling in the hands and feet. And here we have this plant that does all of these things. So one of the things I would say to patients was, okay, you're in pain. So we give you an opiate. So everybody gets constipated from opiates. 95% of people. And when you increase the dose, they get more and more constipated. So for constipation, we're going to give you maybe fiber or something, but then we're going to give you a laxative. 
and laxatives cause cramping. So then they may give you a medicine for GI cramping, an additional one or two medicines. But then in addition, opiates cause nausea. The primary nausea medicine we give cancer patients because they have nausea already, Zofran causes constipation. Oh my God. It doesn't end. Most, most of the other nausea medicines cause constipation, like Compazine or Phenergenera. They cause constipation, but they also cause respiratory suppression. I'll get there. Um, opiates also cause itching. So Benadryl or whatever for itching, respiratory suppression, sedation, constipation. Opiates are addictive and opiates also kill you. The way they kill you is they send a message to your brain and say, guess what? You don't need to breathe. That's called respiratory suppression. As do the anti-nausea meds, as do the sedation meds, as do the gabapentin and Lyrica used for nerve pain. As do on and on and on, all these other drugs causing respiratory suppression. And the additive effect of it, those two is it's exponential rather than additive. So two plus two is not equal four, it equals 10. So when a cancer patient who was already on opiates and was already on compassing was sent to me for anxiety, and I'm thinking I'm supposed to add Ativan or benzodiazepine, kill them. I'm going to kill them. Enter cannabis. Cannabis does not cause constipation. It's a painkiller. It does not cause constipation. It does not cause nausea. It's actually used to treat nausea. It does not cause itching. It's actually used in topical form for eczema, psoriasis, all kinds of inflammations. Is it the CBD in it that does that? Both. Both, Both. of them? Okay. Yeah. It does not cause respiratory suppression. As a matter of fact, if you took a massive, massive overdose. There is no lethal dose of cannabis. There isn't. You might think you're going to die. <laughs> That's You'll true. wake up the next day. <laughs> I had a case where this little old man from central Pennsylvania, and they were very uh, country. And they're sitting in my office, and I'm talking to them about cannabis, and they're looking at me like waiting for you know, some weird thing to happen. Or, yeah, you know, the cops are going to storm in. Yeah. And so I'm getting to the point where I'm talking about different delivery methods and I'm talking to them about the uh, concentrated oils, the RSL. And I'm saying, how when you start, we recommend a half a grain of rice size drop. I'm looking at this man and he's in his late 70s. He weighs about 70 pounds. He's so protected. And I said, you, sir, I would start with a quarter of a grain of rice. And he's looking at his wife and she's looking at him and I said, what, what? Well, they knew nothing about cannabis, but the neighbor's grandson had come by and tossed a syringe at them. Oh, said, use no. this, it'll help with his cancer. Just a random syringe? She took about this of RSO. She put about this much of it on a brownie and fed it to him. Because edibles don't work. Oh, my gosh. Instantly. And as a matter of fact, it take two and a half hours. So two and a half, three hours later, she goes to check on him. And she cannot arouse him. So she thinks he's dying, which is understandable because he's, you know, cold and sick. Off to the ER. Every examination, every test, every lab study, every scan. Finally, the doc comes back and says, well, I didn't find anything except an awful lot of THC. 
So they're telling me the story and I'm about to go, and then I was like, stop it. It's not funny. Stop it. I said to her, oh, oh, well, what happened? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, when he woke up, what happened? Oh, nothing. Nothing. You drink too many beers, yeah. you wake up, you have a headache, your stomach's upset, you feel like a bus ran you over. Cannabis, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So when I would educate people about it, I would tell them, listen, it's an art, and there may be a time when you take too much, but here's the deal. See, remember those cartoons with the angel on your shoulder and the devil on your shoulder? So I'm sitting <laughs> on your shoulder in my little white coat. And I'm saying to you, remember, I told you this could happen. This cannot hurt you. The next time you see me, you can tell me to shove it where the sun doesn't shine. But although that might be a good thing. But <laughs> this cannot hurt you. And to the caregivers, remember, this can't hurt them. It's not going to hurt their heart. It's not going to stop their breathing. It's not going to kill their livers. Can't do it. Take some straight CBD oil because Mother Nature knows best. Eat something. Drink something. Take a warm shower. Go lie down. You'll be fine. And what a change. Tylenol. As a, I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist as well. Tylenol is something that teenagers, when they want to send a message, have been known to take a handful of. Tylenol was safe. That's what your mom gave you. Seven and a half grams of Tylenol, which is 15 extra strength tablets of Tylenol, is a lethal dose. It can kill your liver. You can end up needing a liver transplant or dying. 15 tablets. I can, I can tell you how many kids do that because they don't think it's a big deal. Benadryl, too much can kill you. Certainly opiates and heart medicine. There is no lethal dose of cannabis. So not only does it not have these toxic side effects, it can't hurt you. But then when you think about all those different problems I've told you about, you know, there's a phenomenon that we call polypharmacy. Drug for this, drug for that, drug for this, drug for that. Then you take drugs for the side effects and no one has any idea. Yeah, it's just a cocktail. It's a tornado of just garbage. We don't know. We don't know. One or two, maybe you can tell, but no. 15, we don't know. We can't know. Cannabis can cut out many of these drugs. Reducing polypharmacy. Avoiding toxicities and lethalities. In addition, because it's so well-received, I, I was telling Cal the other day about this patient of mine. Um, her breast cancer had metastasized into her bone. She had fractures all over the place. Oh and tons of pain. So at this point, her cancer was kind of under control, but the pain was chronic. When I met her, she was on massive, massive quantities of a long-acting dilaudid. Dilaudid is one of the strongest opiates there is. And she was taking 32 milligrams of this long-acting formula. Plus, every four hours through the day and night, breakthrough, 20 milligrams of oxycodone. Oh, my God. Plus, gabapentin, which is for nerve pain, hundreds and hundreds of milligrams, Plus, Ativan, which is used for nausea and anxiety, one milligram four times a day. It was amazing that she was breathing. 
But the other part of it is she would come into my office, she'd be crying, she'd be shaking, she'd be in tears, she'd be in pain. They weren't working. She One day she came in and she said, I think I'm going to get myself one of those marijuana cards. And I said, absolutely. And like the next time I saw her, she's completely off the Ativan, taking no more breakthrough meds. The oxycodone was gone. No more gabapentin. And her long-acting opiate use was reduced to about a fifth of the dose of the original. But even more exciting to me, she was divorced. She had one child who lived in San Francisco. She felt good enough, confident, joyous, the opposite of how she used to feel enough. that she got on an airplane and flew to San Francisco. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, San Diego. She needed a wheelchair. She needed bulkhead seating. But she went. It's huge. And that was the change. And I hear, I heard story after story. Mr. Smith comes back and, well, I got the canvas out. So what do you think of it? Well, I no longer take the sleep medicine. I no longer take the nausea medicine. Next person, what do you think of it? Well, I don't need this for my irritable bowel. And I on and on and on. And it blows me away. And so as a psychiatrist, but also as someone advising people who are treating cancer, I pretty much I would tell them, number one, I believe cannabis should be available to everyone who is interested in it. Number two, I believe that it should be used first. And this is where I differ from a lot of people. If you, I need pain medicine, please give it to me first. I don't want opiates. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to die. I don't want to be addicted. Give it to me first. Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't quite cover, okay, maybe we can use a little bit of opiates. So you mentioned earlier that they created that Marinol, which is just the TH, essentially like a, a synthetic TH. But then you said that that nature works better than we do. And the combination of the CBD with the THC is, is even better. Is, is it just because THC is illegal in a lot of places that you see a lot of CBD only products and the benefits of those? Or is CBD really beneficial on its own, but THC not as much? No, that's not true. Okay. Um, CBD is not sold medicinally. It is sold as a supplement. Okay. Anyone can sell anything and they can say it has CBD in it. Right. So the problem is that number one, you don't know if what you're buying has any CBD in it. And number two, if it does have CBD in it, you don't know that it has what it says it has because there's no lab testing on it. And number three and four, is it's a plant. It can be grown, it's grown in fields. What if it's sprayed with pesticides? What if it's in soil that has heavy metals in it? What if the harvest molded? Those are things that you don't know, but certainly as a cancer patient or an ill person or anyone in general, I don't want to take pesticide, concentrated pesticides in the CBD oil. So there are formulations that are much higher quality. They're also really expensive. I tell people, please do not buy CBD from your neighbor who used to sell Avon. You have no idea what it is. And that if you can get it through a dispensary or a really verified source. Yeah, you got to see those lab results always. Yeah. CBD does what it's, its thing, but, but THC is necessary also. Okay. Um, I had a, I don't know where my growth store is, but basically... 
when you think about THC is the chemical that makes you feel high. In addition, it's an antidepressant. It, depending on whether it comes from an indica or sativa, it's either stimulating or sedating, kind of interesting. Decreases nausea, increases appetite. It's good for muscle spasm and anti-anxiety off the top of my head. In contrast, CBD does not make you high. It is good for nausea. It's good uh, anxiety, seizures. Doesn't do anything for appetite stimulation. Um, not as it does some things for pain, but not the same. And one of the things I saw, for example, when I looked at cancer on this thing, is you're looking at all these different colored things. That there's anti-cancer activity from THC, THCA, CBC, CBD, and CBG. I want them all. <laughs> you know, I'm not just going to take one. Why wouldn't I take it all? Cancer's vicious. I know how vicious cancer is. I want to fight them all with all of it. Um, when you think about the fact that there is a dissociative kind of quality about THC where, yeah, I have pain, but I'm going to leave it over there. And I'm going to sit over here. Mm -hmm. That's actually a pretty healthy coping mechanism. The joyousness and cheerfulness that people, you know, the patient I was telling you about that flew to San Diego, she started chuckling and laughing again. She has a great sense of humor. But it's hard to access that when you're miserable all the time and anxious and terrified and can't sleep and all of that. And yet I think there's more than just restoring sleep and helping with pain and nausea. I think it also enhances mood. There's evidence. You know, it's used on its own for depression and, and mood instability and post-traumatic stress and anxiety. So it does improve all of that. And so when you think about it in terms of the impact of stress and discomfort on your body where these toxic, I'm sorry, your stress hormones are released, epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, and they're really good if you need to run from a saber-toothed tiger. They take energy from not unnecessary systems. They put it into your, your muscles so you can run, raise your blood pressure. Your breathing gets faster. It uh, kind of focuses your vision, pinpoint needles. Your hair might stand on end. You're ready to go, sweating. But it takes that energy from systems like your immune system your ability to absorb nutrients. And I would tease people, the saber-toothed tiger is chasing you. It does not matter if you've been exposed to the flu. Or the saber-toothed tiger gets you. It doesn't matter if you've finished digesting your chin on wheat. But chronic stress, chronic pain, chronic upset, chronically dumping those chemicals into your body, that's the very opposite of what we're trying to do with cancer treatment. So... That was my explanation before I even was involved with cannabis in telling people why we must address your depression, your anxiety, your insomnia. You can't be under that level of stress and respond beautifully to cancer treatment because your body is not, is not going to respond. I'm so curious. So we, a few weeks ago, talked to a functional medicine doctor who talks all about the vagus nerve. Do you know anything about how cannabis affects that nerve? Not sure about particularly about the vagus nerve. Okay. However, what I'm talking about more is the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight, versus the parasympathetic nervous system and that balance. But 
when you think about it, it's all ebb and flow. It, you know, our bodies and, and nature in general are all about balance. You know, we have the THC, we have the CBD. We have the sympathetic when we need it. We have the parasympathetic when we need it. And balance is so important. And we've stepped so far away from that to the idea of just fix that thing, just fix that thing. In one of the tragedies of medicine that was sad because the hospital where I worked is no longer in existence, we had tremendous communication. I did not treat a part. Everyone treated the whole patient and, you know, we communicated. But notoriously, in medical centers all over the place, you go to the cardiologist and he's like, tell me about your heart. He doesn't want to hear about your lungs or your stomach or anything. My husband and I once went, he had shoulder problems that he believed they came from his neck. The orthopedic surgeon said, I'm a shoulder guy. You want to talk about your neck, you have to go. But that's what we've come to. So a move towards cannabis and a move towards natural has seemed to me to be a move towards kind of a reset to what we came from and a step away from all this uh, dysfunctional foreignness. You know, the hospital where I worked, I was a full-time psychiatrist, and people would say, I never saw a full-time psychiatrist in a cancer hospital. What? Well, the whole theory behind this hospital system is you have to take care of your mind, body, and spirit. They had a very strong pastoral care department also. Um, without, if you leave the body, in, I mean the mind and spirit behind, what yeah. taking care of the body and vice versa. Yeah. You know, if you only take care of one thing. So this whole balance and inclusiveness, and it just makes so much better sense to me. Very, they also had a really strong nutrition program, strong naturopathic program. How can you give someone cancer treatment and not pay attention to what they're taking into their body? God, say that again. <laughs> right. And yet, as physicians, you know, before I went to this hospital, I was in a, working in a plain psychiatric hospital, and it was some of the worst time of my life because I knew that I was not giving the patients what they needed. And yet, I didn't have a choice. You know, um, I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I had an adolescent girls unit. A kid would come into the hospital depressed. I would start a medicine. And two days later, the utilization review nurse would say, you have to change the medication dose. I'd say, but I just started it. You know, it takes four to six. If you don't change the dose, they're going to insist on discharge. So I'm making changes. It made no sense. And then... After five days, the kid who had made a serious suicide attempt had to be discharged anyway. Oh, my God. And so the parent would be saying to me, what do you mean you're discharging her? My insurance says I have 30 days. I said, no, ma'am, your insurance says you have up to 30 days. They manage it. They're not going to let you keep her here one more day. I understand what you're saying, that it's not resolved in five days. But unless you're independently wealthy... It was so disheartening Tragic. to be part of that system. I, I hated every moment of it. Had I not had my own children at home and I was a single parent, I would have walked out the door. Switching to this other hospital where they really were, they got it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the whole body approach. And then they gave me the opportunity to educate and incorporate cannabis. Even though the, the hospital was that way, I was the only one who, who was educated. The other doctors were like, yeah, that's cool. And yeah, maybe some of them teased me. Oh, you just want everyone to be high. But then they would start to see, yeah, it's helping. Mm -hmm. But they were still like, you take care of it. The legality, the risk frightened them, I guess. Yeah. I don't have time, whatever, you do it. So why is that hospital not around anymore? It sounds like a wonderful and very rare occurrence where they're treating the whole body and whole patient. They had five hospitals, two of them closed this spring. Insurance companies did not like to pay for yeah. this kind of care, bottom line. They wanted to go ch cheaper. And it was really tragic, really tragic, because I'm now continuing to follow some of the patients still. They can't get the care they have. They can't. And I know some of them are going to die because of that because they're not having the close monitoring. They're not having the individualized attention. And it's tragic to watch. And it's terrifying to me to think, oh, my God, what if I get sick today? You know, it's just, we as a society, I mean, I can go on and on. We, we don't care about, we certainly don't care about mental health. We don't care much about health care compared to stadiums or, what, or war. I don't know. Why are we so messed up? Why is it more important? You know, why is it that, Drug companies have this ability to make my mother suffer and die. That's my question. How did it get this far? How did they get so big? And are we able to change it at this stage? I know. That's like the golden question, right? Why are we not able to have people understand about climate change and the need for change? I don't get it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to me like a question of opinion. You know, it's just, it is. And yet, I guess the idea that it would be inconvenient to me if I believe this, so I'll just choose not to. I don't know. But it's more than that. It's like I've had people not want to learn how to recycle properly. It takes too much time. I have no room for complacency in my life. Leanne and I have been talking about this so much. It's so alive and real for me. I just, I, yeah, I mean, I do. I get lit up. It's like, why would you, why would you be okay with saying this doesn't, I, I can't take the time to, to do it right, but, but here have this knowing X, Y, Z. I mean, any commercial on TV for a prescription, you, half the commercials, the disclaimer, you know, on and on and, know, on, and on and on. It's just like, oh my gosh, if that's not a wake up call, why is it? And I don't even know if cannabis is for everyone. I'm not, I don't want to say that either because I know that they're, while you may not be able to overdose, as you're saying, there is an addiction component. Maybe my bigger issue is with, for schizophrenic, for people with psychotic yes. disorders, I think it's probably not indicated. Yeah. But when we're talking about, you know, cancer patients, yeah, people would say to me, part of this before the cannabis, when I'd say, I want you to, you need to treat your pain, you need to treat your nausea. They said, well, I don't want to get addicted. My grandmother was, was from Eastern Europe and had a heavy accent. And I would think of her in the back of my mind saying, you should live so long. I mean, <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, but people get stuck in these things that they're told and the shame and embarrassment. Totally. People tell me, I, be I believe what you're saying, honey. I'm still kind of embarrassed what my family would think. And that's why telling them about my 84-year-old mother 
was so powerful. Um, I just, it breaks my heart, but it makes me really angry. I have had to before, I've had to tell people, there was a woman who I was called to the floor and she was very ill and she said, okay, I'm ready now. I'd like my cannabis. This was many years ago. She came from Virginia. And I was like, ma'am, you can't have it. Yeah. Legal in PA. It's not legal in Virginia. Well, I could get it here. No, I'm sorry. You can't. You have to have a PA address and you have to have it. Yeah. I'm in Texas, so I, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, it breaks my heart. It makes me angry. When I talk to my fellow colleagues about this, some of them would say, well, there's not evidence-based medicine to prove your claims. I won't do the research. (laughs) Because it's schedule one. Exactly. Because the only cannabis in our country was coming from Southern Mississippi University, which was apparently this old, weak, dank, whatever. But beyond that, the evidence-based research has been done about what happens when you give opiates. Right. We know what happens when you give opiates with benzos or opiates with, you know. We know that. Just be careful. But here you go. I get so mad. And so if I have experiential, no, whatever, quantitative, whatever. I have a lot of experience. I've seen person after person. I guess the the thing I would get to, but it was hard to do it in a civil way, was kind of say, oh, okay, so that's okay for your mom? Because it wasn't okay for mine. Oh, you haven't thought about that yet? Because your mom hasn't gotten sick yet? Because mine did. Mm -hmm. Let me show the pictures her before and right before she died. They're not pretty. You know, what happened to her? My best friend also died of cancer, you know. Hideous what it did to her. You really want to go through that? But... The safety of it and the ease of it, because cannabis is much more complicated. Telling someone how to get it and access and the cost and everything is much more complicated than just writing a script and sending it electronically to CVS. Mm-hmm. And the other thing with cannabis, you know, um, when if I send an electronic prescription for a thousand tablets of morphine to the CVS for you, anyone could go pick it up. Doesn't matter who it is; they don't care. Here it is cannabis in Pennsylvania dispensaries. Only the patient was allowed in and if the patient couldn't go, forget it. You can't get the medicine. Oh, that's a huge boundary. And to become a caregiver in PA, you had to get fingerprinted, which was an additional cost. Plus you had to pay an additional fee to the state of Pennsylvania for the caregiver's card as well as the patient's card. And it delayed the reception of the cards. So where if you're just getting a card as a patient, it might take two weeks. It might take six to get a caregiver's card. And so, therefore, you're out of luck. If you are too ill to go to the dispensary, I, I remember initially I had a woman, she was very old, and she was couldn't see or hear well. I'm calling the dispensary in New Jersey. From now. I'm saying, I don't know what to tell you. She can't understand what you're saying. Yeah. Can you please allow someone in? You know, No, they can't. Um. And where does that come from? Why that's gotta be from lobbying. Why would anyone think, hey, this is a good thing to do? Right. This is better for people. They they wouldn't if they stopped and thought about it. Would they? No. I mean I how could they? No one I know. I mean, yeah. They couldn't. When the people would try the cannabis, even 
reluctantly but desperately they would try it. And then they'd have the results. There is nothing like it. You know, and that was worth it to me to take them through the step by step by step in negotiating and that it's somewhat complicated and this is what you have to do and this is what you might do and how to get around this and that. Because God, it worked. And people were like, bless you. And thank you. And oh my God, this is amazing. And why didn't I know about this? And I can't wait to tell people about it. You know, when when I met um, Ron on that panel, a veteran, and I was sitting on a pattern with five, panel with five veterans, and every single one of them had come out of the military with damage. And it wasn't a question of whether they had made suicide attempts or not. It was every single one of them was how many times? Yeah. How many times? Mm-hmm. And they described what the VA did for them after their medical and psychological uh, damages. And it was pills and more pills and more pills and more pills. And they talked about their despair and their uh, horrible quality of life and how many people they lost. And and we could do better and we don't. I just Speaking of doing better, I, I did want to ask, as a psychiatrist, what have you learned about psychedelic therapies and what they're doing for people? Not enough. I haven't learned enough. But... I am going to. What's interesting about this, one thing that's really interesting in comparison with cannabis, there's still a tremendous lack of re- evidence-based research about cannabis. It's just not a lot being done. There's a lot of stuff coming out about psychedelics and PTSD. It's like they're not evil to people. A lot of journals talking about um, from ketamine, which is a pharmaceutical, but to psilocybin, to mescaline, to, you know, absolute plant-based with enthusiasm. I just saw an article yesterday. I, I think I tried to print it. I don't think it came out right, but uh, someone wrote, you know, this was the most powerful thing I've ever seen, a clinician writing this about a, a person's response to a psychedelic infusion. I can't help wondering if Part of that is because it's not as seen as a direct threat to the pharmaceutical industry. How? Because with cannabis, there's so many different drugs, that drugs you could get rid of. Oh, okay. And with psychedelics. I see what you're saying, yeah. You know, they're talking about PTSD. They're not talking about every time. They don't thing. have a, a prescription cure for PTSD anyways. So it's not directly right. stepping on anyone's toes. Okay. No, not at all. But also, hallucin- I mean, psychedelics are not targeting pain. They're not, well, they are some, but, you know, not the wide, wide range. You know, uh, cannabis has been used to treat autoimmune disorders. Psychedelics aren't going that direction. I don't know if that's it. What I have read and what I've heard is very exciting about microdosing, about the impact on serious psychiatric situations, trauma, PTSD, the likes of which, you know, sometimes you see, I see videos and I think, oh God, that kid's never going to be right. You know, that you can't get over that kind of thing. You can't get past what happened. But it sounds like maybe psychedelics might open that door. Yeah. I am, I have to confess that they frighten me some. Mm. I grew up in a time where they were talking about 
they had LSD trips and people trying to fly, jumping off buildings and sure. people having psychotic episodes that they never came back from. Oh, I heard about some guy in, I was in middle school. Oh, you can't do that because you'll think you're an orange peel and peel all your skin off. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Was that the uh, spice also, the ones that where the people were eating? Oh, that was before that. But yeah, I did hear about that too. Yeah, the bath salts. Bath salts. Yeah, yeah. bath salts. Yeah, Florida's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I got to say that those things were scary and they, they still kind of terrifying. Absolutely. I think terrifying. it's a healthy fear to have. It's a powerful drug, you know, or yeah. medicine, I guess. But I think it's also impactful when you hear people with terrible traumas talk about their choice to use it and their relief from it. First of all, I understand what their level of suffering was before, as I've worked with so many people with post-traumatic stress. Yeah, they're ready. Just like those cancer patients who, when we discussed the illegality, would say, I don't care. Let them arrest me. Let them arrest me. Yeah. You know? People are desperate to feel better. Yeah. Right. And they're desperate not to be suffering with all these medications and things that make them feeling bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a patient I was talking with yesterday. She was talking about it was a surgical outcome that she wasn't happy with. Um, She wanted her surgeon to reverse a colostomy. And she said, and I asked him, he just goes like this. I happen to know her surgeon. I happen to know her. I think the reality is that she came so close to death. It was such a complicated recovery. I was shocked that she did recover at all. And I think he's a lovely, caring man, but I don't think she's necessarily hearing the reality of it. She's kind of forgotten it. And I don't think he feels comfortable in saying, listen, I think if we did this, you would die, but you would suffer for, you know, so he's not discussing it. So I talked about it with her. I was going to say, shame on him, though. You <laughs> should. Well, but I get it. You know what? He's a surgeon. I want him to have good hands. I want him to have great eyes. I'll do this part of it. But I said to her, have you ever thought of this? Because I got to tell you, I'm not an oncologist, but I thought of it. I I wanted you to get better. And I have to tell you, I stunned when you walked in my office after you'd been in that wheelchair with an open wound that wouldn't heal for so long with your butts coming. You know? Yeah. I think he can't operate because I think if he did this, this would, you know. And I understand that it's hard for people and that we, we can't all do the same thing right we can't all entertain the same things but i guess the thing i think is really important is to be able to say to someone listen i can't do better but maybe there is someone out there who could or you know maybe you should talk to someone else or maybe i'd like to learn more i don't know it yet you know so i can tell you with the psychedelics i don't know it yet there's a million courses out there and my current state is i don't quite know how to choose a course they seem to be geared towards non-mds they're geared towards like counselors, therapists. Okay. And I could certainly learn from that, but I want to learn the next part of it as well. Is that because they think that MDs would be less open to taking a course anyway, so they're not even catering to that crowd yet? I'm not sure. I did meet several years ago. It was in June of 19. It was because it was one of my speaking engagements before the pandemic. And I met a pain management doctor who was opening a practice near me, and he was incorporating ketamine. Now, as I said, ketamine is a pharmaceutical, but it's a, it's a psychic hallucinogen. 
Okay. So actually I was thinking now that I, now that you guys mentioned it, maybe he's someone I can ask for a good course because he certainly knows more about it. I don't know. I, but I guess, yeah, physicians tend to be a fairly conservative bunch and I'll take the response to my saying they sh- patients should try cannabis. Right. Um, I had colleagues that, um, called me Dr. Doobie and Dr. <laughs> Weed. Okay. Yeah. You know, so what? Yeah. Me, but meanwhile, again, people would say, well, sure, back in high school and college, not me. Yeah. You may say, sure, but that was not me. Right. Yeah. So, um, have, can I ask, have you tried it yourself after seeing what it did to your mom and all your patients? Oh, yes. All right. So I have come from a family who can't sleep. Neither of my parents were able to sleep well. My sister can't sleep. Well, my first cousins, it goes throughout the family. I, at age 19, I stopped drinking caffeine because I couldn't sleep. So I went through, finished college, went through medical school and internship with no caffeine. I ran on anxiety. It's amazing <laughs> how much anxiety will keep me oh awake. God, that gives me you anxiety know. to think about. I get that, girl. <laughs> but, you know, as an intern on internal medicine, I couldn't sleep even without caffeine. And so I started out with... Uh, Herbs, valerian root, hops, passion fruit. Didn't touch it. And well, it did for a while, and then no. And and when Ambien was first released, it was marketed as you don't get habituated to it. This is great. In contrast, when I was in medical school and doing projects for my uh, psych honors or whatever, I did a project on Halcyon, which was a sleep medicine where notoriously, you know, there was rebound insomnia and old people getting delirious and running down the halls naked and all this stuff. And here Ambien was going to be the answer to this. And here it is. We've got it. So I started taking it and I took it and I took it and then I needed a little more of it. And I took more of it, took more of it. Decades could not sleep at all without it. And I got to the point where I was on the highest prescribed dose, which was a 12 and a half controlled release. Without it, I couldn't sleep at all. With it, I slept about two and a half hours. Oh my God. That breaks my heart, Lynn. That makes that literally breaks my heart. No caffeine. I had one point where my internist said, "Well, why don't you try exercise?" I was doing boot camp three days a week. You know, still didn't sleep. So when that happened was when I was stepping more into the cannabis thing, and it was in 2018, in May of 18. First of all, I had had a medical emergency in the summer of 17 that left me with clear PTSD. I almost died. That's the whole other. So I was like, I have PTSD. Here I am, May of 18, the, the ambient is not working. So I'm going to go get certified. I completely stopped. I have not had ambient since May of 18. I don't take it at all. I use indica cannabis at night. I tried CBN. My daughter is adopted from China. She has an autoimmune kidney disorder that's seen in Asian-born people, genetic. And the treatment is steroids, prednisone. So when she was 10, when she was diagnosed, they gave her massive doses of steroids. And you know what happened. Yeah. Now, she was eating. She was up 2 o'clock in the morning, shoving things in her face, you know, eating the weight or whatever. It helped. It took months and months and months to get that weight. And people were staring at her. And, you know. 
So then she's 14. We go to the doctor and he says, oh, the, the numbers are starting to change. We may need to start medicine again. She burst into tears. Please don't do that to me. Please, please. I said to the guy, do me a favor. Let me give her CBD first. She's been on CBD ever since. No flare-ups. Wow. Really? Which would you rather take? CBD or prednisone? Yeah. Especially long-term. That's a disaster. Diabetes, uh, osteonecrosis, you know, heart disease, on and on. So, yes, my dogs, my older dog, I have an older golden dude. He's 12 and a half and he's a big dog. And you know, big dogs don't live that long. Yeah. When he was two and a half, he developed a doggy version of Crohn's disease. It was an autoimmune disorder. And he's my $6 million dog. He had surgery, <laughs> yeah, he had one of those. medicine. <laughs> you know, we were giving him all these supplements. So now he's 12 and a half. But a couple of years ago, he started having arthritis pain. Older dogs, big dogs. They traditionally give dogs megamotrin for pain. I knew I couldn't give him that because if you look at him funny, he gets colitis and diarrhea. <laughs> you know, I can't give him that. But CBD is useful for Crohn's disease and pain. So my dog takes CBD. And that's been a couple of years. He would have been dead if I tried to treat his pain with the non-steroidal anyway. and his symptoms are have gotten better since taking this they're better uh, he's still getting old he, he's but you know he's old yeah right. but yeah here he is wow. here he is my other dog was crazy <laughs> ptsd kind of nuts and i gave him cbd to calm his little butt down you know it's amazing when you start thinking of my parents are both gone but their best friends are still alive 88 and 90 90 year old had a knee replacement has high blood pressure 88-year-old, you know, some anxiety and other things. Which are you going to want to start with in delicate people like that? Right. No. You want to take, give them drugs like Motrin and non that'll take their kidneys out and their stomach lining? Or do you want to give them opiates that'll, you know? Yeah. So has your mission become to kind of spread awareness about all the benefits of these drugs and get people more open to, to trying it for themselves? Yes. And in terms of marketing, the concept I have is de-prescribing. I love that. Come in with your bag. Of, yeah, come in with your bag of 10 meds. Let's take a look and see what we can do with them. Mm-hmm. I have an appointment with my um, one of my dearest friends. We're going to her internist on November 1st. She's got a lot of different medical problems. I went, I don't dare say stop those meds, but I will do it with the internist and see if we can back her off some of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and her medicines include, her medical problems include seizures. They include high blood pressure. They include, let's get on it. Yeah. You know, let's back some of this out. Yeah. And so translating this, I have a very different experience from most certifying physicians. Most, I I was on a medical advisory panel for a local dispensary and we met and all the docs were saying, oh, it's really nice. Because I'm starting to see people back for their year of research and hear how the cannabis helped them. And I'm looking at them like, a year? <laughs> I see them every week, every month, every whatever. Talk to them on the phone in between. And so when this thing didn't work, I was involved with the manipulating or changing to that. Or tra- I had this amazing opportunity to share with people a wide, wide range of 
patients' wide range of conditions. It's not just cancer. Even the cancer patients, it wasn't just cancer. Right. But but it's not just cancer. It's all and because of my degree, I have the ability to be heard by people who maybe wouldn't hear it from other people. That's why I'm so excited for people to listen to this. I know I am too, for that very reason. And also because of my not being someone who was open to yeah. it. I was hostile. I had dinner a couple years ago. I was with a high school boyfriend. And I told him what I was doing. He started laughing. He said, Lynn, you were crazy. <laughs> he said, if I went and got high, I would have to go take a shower, wash my hair, brush my teeth, change my clothes, put in Visine. If you saw any sign of it, you lost your mind and be like, <laughs> out of my sight. Mm-hmm. I was crazy. But that's what we were no, taught. I was, yeah. yeah. I was and same. I was really extreme, extreme with it. And I looked down on it. You know, my sister, I would have, at that time, she's a hippie. She wants to use cannabis with my mom. That's how I believe. I have done the 180 and feel like I have more credibility because I can stand up and say, you know what, guys, I was absolutely wrong. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's very amazing. Mm -hmm. I respect the hell out of that, Lynn. (laughs) Well, and, and I'll use that power to communicate with people because I feel so fortunate. Everything came together, you know. Had I been, had my hospital not existed, I don't think I would have had this experience. Yeah. Because they, they, the hospital was the kind that attracted people who were willing to travel for their cancer care. They were also willing to go outside the bounds in other ways. They shared their knowledge with me. You know, all of these things came together. Had the people in the, people in the cannabis space are really different. When you're pre-med and in medical school and everything, you get used to this competition, backstabbing, um, out of my way, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm calling me, I know better. It, it reminds me, maybe shouldn't say this, but there was a thing early in the Trump presidency when there was a group of leaders meeting and he pushed the leader of some smaller country aside to get in front. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, it was like some... Lithuania or something, he pushed him out of his way to get in front. That's what people in medicine were like all the time. If I know they're that way in the cannabis space too, just be careful. <laughs> well, I have not. I I'm surprised because I had not had that experience. Good for you. Stay That's on this good. side of it. <laughs> I've had the opposite, where people would meet me and they would say, "Oh, you're this. You know what? You need to meet so and so and take me by the hand and introduce me to so and so." Yeah, there is that and element it of was, it really different because honestly in medicine you know you would spit on you if you're on fire right kind of thing yeah and 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 I have to say that my hospital was not like that my hospital was more like this in the cannabis space and and that's where I'm more comfortable that's the kind of work I want to do I want to work with people I don't want to have it be um oh yeah I make more money so I'm gonna not tell you yeah. Right. Like they hold the keys or something like this is such like it's nature, you know, and it, and it's here to help us. And I think what you're doing is just so awesome. Yeah. Oh, and the whole cost thing. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, so here's a weed that could grow in anyone's yard, but no, you're not allowed to do that. And so you're going to have to pay hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for care where your copay for your opiates that will kill you, by the way, is a dollar. 
I've definitely had patients tell me, I can't afford it, doc. I'd love to do it. It was better, but I can't afford it. I haven't worked. You know, mm-hmm. cancer patients, I think the statistic is 87% of them go through their entire life savings in the first two years of treatment. Oh my God. We can't afford it. What are we doing to people? You know, why are we doing this? And that's my passion for this now. And I, I don't mind people rolling their eyes. I don't mind people kind of going, oh, yeah, I know what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the passion shows very clearly. I also tell people when they say you're so passionate, you spent so much time, I say, listen, my mom was an educator. I adored my mother. Every time I spend this time educating, I'm honoring her. Yeah, you truly are. And actually, I was giving a talk about cannabis in, some, in the Philadelphia area, and a woman came up to me afterwards. She said, I had your mother for English. Oh, oh my gosh. I oh, my God, that gave me goosebumps. That. I know, me too. Yep. And... Uh, you know, and she's in the cannabis space. Not only has she had my mother for English, but she's a couple years younger than me. She lived, grew up near me. She said, when your parents would go up to visit you in college, I'd come and walk your dog. Oh. <laughs> How cool is so, that? That's and my cool. mom had passed away already at this time, but here was this connection, you know, and back to that. And Bigger so, picture. Oh. Amazing. And when there was an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer and a lot of mention was made they mentioned my mother's name and I was thinking oh god my mother would have hated this um so my mother didn't like people knowing that she was ill or anything she would have hated that but here she was educating people and people came out of the woodwork and said um my uh, someone I went to high school with said yeah my parents said that you were in the newspaper they saw it you know and my last name being what it is it's pretty easy to know that it was me yeah yeah it wasn't like Smith yeah so (laughs) Yeah, so it's been really exciting. I just want to do more with it. I want to work and help, like work along. One of the things is with Senator Leach, working alongside to explain to people, number one, from my perspective, why medically this is important. He can explain me why legally this is how you do it. Yeah. If you want to do it, because sometimes states are like, oh, it's too cumbersome, it's too difficult. He can definitely say, yeah, this is what you do. Please do that. Yeah. <laughs> we well, I am always available to do it. It's been interesting since I left the other job, kind of balancing what I want to do. I this is what I want to do. Yeah. I don't want to sit um especially as a child psychiatrist, you can end up feeling like a prescription pad with legs. Mm-hmm. I can see that for sure. You know, fifteen minute med checks. I mean, right, 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 right. That's not what I want. Yeah. First of all, I want wellness and health. So do we. (laughs) Yeah. Came to the right place. Yeah. And how did I get there? Through the cannabis space and through Callas. Yeah, the Callas. Callas and cannabis, they they find each other every time. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. It was funny because my daughter takes CBD. Mm-hmm. My son just had braces put on and he was having a lot of pain from this. Oh, yeah. It was really bothering him. And I was telling him, okay, I'm going to pack you a little tip, you know, because you, you can't have medicines in school. He's almost 16. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's some Tylenol. Here's some ibuprofen. He said, do you want me to put CBD in it? He's like, Ma, are you kidding me? I'm not going into school with weed. And we were laughing because, yeah, I, I guess he doesn't want to go into school. with My son, 
I would much rather have him use CBD for pain yeah, than the other stuff. And so when he's home, that's what I'm giving him. And I'm not, you know, it's CBD. It's not THC. Right. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for coming on and sharing. You are welcome. Thank you. You are a wealth of knowledge and stories. That was the easiest podcast we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) I know. My problem is to stop talking about it. No, it's not a problem. People need to hear it. No, because it's like, and another thing. And another. (laughs) I mean, there was one thing. Neuropathy. Peripheral neuropathy, that burning and numbness and tingling in your fingers and toes. They give gabapentin, Lyrica, Cymbalta, drugs by mouth, don't always work, have lots of side effects. Cannabis, when it comes in topical form, you put it on your skin, it doesn't go to your brain. So um, there was a concentrated salve I had gotten a hold of, and People had told me if I put it on my fingers and toes, it kills the neuropathy pain. It's made of shea butter, coconut oil, grapeseed oil, CBD, and THC. I had a, these little plastic cups I took in my office. I take a little knife, I put it on there, and I hand it to the person. They'd, they'd say, why are you here? Well, I can't sleep. What? What's going on? Well, I have neuropathy. I said, okay, you want to try this? The worst thing that will happen, if it doesn't work for you, is you'll be moisturized. <laughs> But if it does work, so people would say, I said, you can put it on your hands, your feet. They'd say, oh, I'm just going to put it on my hands. They put it here. About five minutes later, I'd see them going. And then they'd say, they'd rip off their socks and say, give me that. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of experiences that, you know, one person at a time, one person at a time. Yeah. Slow and steady. That's awesome. Thank you yes. so much, Lynn. Yeah. I, can't, I can't thank you You are you enough. welcome. You're welcome. And, but I hope we can also revisit the whole psychedelic thing at some point as you know absolutely you let us know when you're ready to talk about that because yeah that's definitely something i'm interested in and and i know is helping people so absolutely absolutely thank you so much thanks for listening if you'd like to join in on the conversation we invite you to come be a part of the hdc community you can find us on facebook and instagram by searching at have the combo for information on all of our shows guests and more visit htcpod.com While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon.